part one of the glory of God. Praise God. Part one is interestingly called house fire. Come on. Look at your neighbor and tell them your house needs to be on fire. Woo, glory to God. It's called a house fire, and you'll see what I'm talking about in just a moment. We're going to preach today on a subject that many don't preach about anymore. And quite frankly, it's a very misunderstood subject. It's underpreached. It's seldom walked in. But it is God's, listen to me, this is not in your notes, but you may want to write this down. It is God's first gift to us. It was God's first gift to us in the garden. His glory. Come on, somebody. Other people have said that it was gold and all this because they said he planted the garden where there was gold and all that was the first gift. The, the first, he did monetarily give them a place that had much gold in it called Havila, that we know that. But the very first gift that was ever given to man that caused man to even become a living soul was that when he breathed what was in him into man. And not only did he breathe what was in him into man and man became a living soul, he took what was on him and put it on Adam, praise God. He clothed Adam in the glory of God. It is where he lives. He lives in the glory. Somebody say he lives in the glory. It is his will for our lives to live, dwell, tap into, and flow in it as well. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 through 4 is our base scripture for this series. And it talks about Oh my goodness, Hebrews chapter 1 is my favorite, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible because it is absolutely, whoever doesn't believe in the Trinity, that they doesn't believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they are equal, all they need to do is read Hebrews chapter 1 because Hebrews chapter 1 is a conversation between the Father and the Son and the Son to the Father and the Father calls the Son God and the Son calls the Father God. Come on, somebody. That's all in Hebrews chapter 1. So it's talking about the beginning of, of creation. It's talking about eternity. And listen to what he says in verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, in whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the worlds. Now watch verse 3. Who being the brightness of his what? Glory. Being the brightness of his glory, and watch this, and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I'm telling you what I could preach, I could preach a whole series just on those scriptures right there, because there's so much meat in those scriptures. It talks about the glory. It talks about the express image. It talks about him sitting at the right hand of the Father. It talks about he decided to come. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that the Father and the Son are, are all, they are equal in their glory. It's a powerful, powerful thing to understand the glory of God. But I want to ask you a question today. How many wants to see the glory of God in your life? Come on, shout amen. Come on. If you want to see the glory of God. Now let me ask you something this. Do you even really know what you just said amen to? Now I think you think you do. And I think that I thought I did. If that even made sense. Until I studied more and I realized that when I say, show me your glory, Lord. I don't even really know what I'm saying. I think what most people are saying is, I want to have a good church service. 
show us your glory, Lord. I want to feel goosebumps. Are y'all, are y'all live this morning? How many drank their coffee this morning? Say amen. Got your caffeine in you? Get your, get your, get your donut? See, we have equated the glory of God showing up in a service. And by the way, we only think he can show up in a service. And when he does show up in a service, we have equated the glory of God to a goose bump or a raised hair on the back of our neck. I'm not criticizing because I've felt the power of God and every hair stood up on my arm too. But watch this. I've watched a movie before and every hair stood up on my arm. I've looked at this blonde on the front and every hair stood up on my arm. Huh? Y'all, it better not happen to y'all. When she is prophesying, that anointing, it's the anointing. You're right. You're right. See, can I just make this very clear? If you want to live in the glory, you can't live any way you want and expect to live in the glory. We have now created a, a church and a religion and a belief system that because of the grace of God being an unmerited favor and a loving God, therefore, and the Bible talks about don't judge lest to be judged. We know all that, what the Bible says. And that's, you know, that's most people's favorite scripture. Don't judge me because the Bible says you'll be judged. They love that scripture, right? That we've created this idea that God's glory... And God's favor is available to anyone at any time, no matter how they're living or no matter what they believe. Can I tell you, I know his favor, or let me back up, I know his grace is available to the worst sinner that could ever imagine. I've preached before that there is no sin too big for the forgiveness of God. He said it is finished, right? But I'm telling you right now, number one, the favor of God, I'm not preaching on the favor, but the favor of God is not reserved for humanity. The favor of God is reserved for his children. You understand? The favor of God is not reserved for humanity. I'm telling you, if you're breathing, you're a human being, if you're an unbeliever, I don't care what you think, I don't care what anybody's told you, the favor of God is not on you. The favor of God is reserved for his children. Oh, is this good preaching already? You might not like it. Well, that, well, does that mean my grandchild who's, who's a heathen right now ain't got the favor of God on him? You can pray the favor on him. Your favor that's on you can move things in his life to be done in him. But the favor of God is reserved for the children of God. Therefore, if you live and reside in the glory, how many, when you understand over this series what the glory is, you'll understand better what I'm saying, whether you agree with it or not. You'll probably tend to agree with me by the time you get through with this series. Because when you really realize what the glory is, you will understand that the glory of God resides in a place that is holy. Did you hear what I just said? The glory of God resides in a place that is holy. Ooh, I can tell I'm stirring some devils up. See, people think that the glory is only something that resides on God. The glory is more than what resides on God. It is the atmosphere in which he dwells. See, the glory absolutely is an atmosphere of heaven, but it is also an atmosphere. Now, before you label me a heretic, hear me out. That can be produced by us. 
Watch this. Next first thing you notice is this. God has always desired to live in an atmosphere that produces glory. Now watch me and I'm going to show you scripture. But watch God has always desired to live in an atmosphere that produces his glory. See, before creation, before Genesis, the Bible tells us uh, God is talking to Job in Job 38 when he's trying to remind him that he is God, that God is God, and that Job is not God, and trying to remind him while Job is trying to remind God of all the things that he didn't do that he should be doing, God is reminding Job who he is. God is reminding Job, hey, I was there when all this began. Where were you? And if you go back and read it, it is an amazing, I mean, it's an amazing rebuke. I mean, he, he tells it like it's a rebuke to us too. It's in the Bible because we need to read it that way too. But listen to what he says in Job chapter 38, verse 4 to Job. Where were you, he said this to Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Now watch, I'm talking about a producing of an atmosphere that produces glory, of which God works in. Surely you know, or who stretched out a line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Verse 7 is the key. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of glory shouted, sons of God shouted for joy. Now what, what, what he was saying is that when I was doing all of the creation that you read about in Genesis, it was coming out of an atmosphere that before it all happened, there was a team sent first who created an atmosphere of which I could walk in and dwell in. But that, oh, come on, y'all hear me. They produced an atmosphere that, that, that made it possible for me to dwell there because God dwells in the glory. Come on, somebody. So when, when the foundation stones were being laid, when the mountains were being carved out, when they were, oh, I love that line where he says, to, where, to what were its foundations fastened? See, in our mind, we understand everything's got to be fastened to something. He's like, but who, who, who found, who put gravity in place? Come on, somebody. Who, who created the, the, the rotation of the solar system and kept them in place? It was me. But then he says, but the atmosphere in which I did that was an atmosphere of which when the angels were sent forth to create an environment in which I could exist. And Oh, come on, y'all hearing me. Because God exists in the glory. Is this good preaching already? I told y'all it's going to get a little deep. So when the morning stars, which is the angels, another word for the angels, sang together. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Listen, some of y'all, sometimes we're moved by emotions when Austin and the praise team is leading us into worship. But you got to understand something. you got to understand something supernatural happens when we begin to sing. That's why I love it when, when you can hear the crowd singing. When, when you can hear the church singing. It creates an atmosphere. It begins to produce something. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it, you might think, strange that so many miracles, so much conviction happens in your life. So many things begin to manifest in a service and in your life in the midst of corporate worship. Because it is in that glory. It's like, it's like God's perfect 
perfume that he loves. He, he can't resist it. The Bible says that when we worship him and bring a sacrifice of praise, it is like a sweet smelling smell that goes up to his nostrils. He can't avoid it. It's like, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm working throughout the house. If my wife's got some good smelling perfume on and she walks right past me, woo, all of a sudden I just feel it. Come on, somebody. It just changes the atmosphere. Your worship is a perfume that God is addicted to. We get not today, but when I get into this, to this series, a little bit further in this series, I'm going to show you he can't resist it. I know it's hard. You don't ever use the word can't with God because he can do anything. What I'm saying is it is the number one thing that attracts him. Is this good preaching? Next thing on your notes is this. Heaven is filled with the glory of God. Can you imagine a place, you know, heaven, heaven is so many great things going to be about heaven. Of course, it's Jesus, the Father, heaven, streets of gold and all this. But think about this. There is not a, there is not a square inch of, of, of acreage property any place in heaven that you can go. There's not a place you can go in heaven where the glory does not reside. It is filled with the glory. Why is it filled with the glory? Because the Bible tells us, and I got, this ain't in my notes today, but the Bible tells us that continually, for all eternity, there is nonstop, constant praise. Come on. Constant worship. The angels are crying out 24-7. There's no time up there but to make us understand that. 24-7, costly, 365 days a year without a break. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Am I preaching right? Isn't it awesome that Isaiah the prophet got a glimpse of what I just said? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, <laughs> high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another. Now that's key. That's key because we read right over it. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Come on, somebody. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. House fire. So I said, woe is me. How many of those, when you're in the glory, when you're in the flesh and you enter the glory, this is what happens. Here's the prophet of the nation, the one that would prophesy the Messiah, Messiah, the one that would prophesy the virgin birth and so many prophecies of Jesus that we know of. He gets in the glory and he says, woe is me. For I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Oh, here am I. Send me. Glory to God. Here am I, send me. See, 
It was the glory. That was the, the key thing is that you gotta say, you gotta see is this. The Bible said the angels, the seraphim that were flying around, of course they were giving God praise. But they were reminding each other of the moment. They were saying it to one another. Is that what your Bible said? Of course they were saying it to God. But they were grabbing other angels and saying to the angels, He is holy. Are y'all hearing me? Now, it's my opinion, gospel according to Larry. But it's just sort of an eye, almost makes me think. Don't you fall into the trap of what those other angels fell into. You remember, he is holy. How many of those, a third of the angels that was created fell with Satan? Because they got their eyes off of the holiness of God. Am I preaching right? They got it on themselves. They declared themselves to be holy. Satan said, I will ascend above your throne, O God. I'll make myself higher than you. Are y'all hearing me? So the angels have to remind each other. Have you ever been in the service and you just need to be reminded by your neighbor that God is good? Have you ever, have you ever just come in and you just didn't even feel like being here, but you only came here because you, your kids were, made you come, or you had a job to do in the church, or, or maybe you felt like out of an obligation, you love the Lord, so you know you just go to church on Sunday, you were sick in your body, you was frustrated, you was ill, and you didn't even want to be here, but then you got in an atmosphere of a bunch of people crying out about the holiness of God, and all of a sudden, things started changing inside of you, all of a sudden, you started being touched by God, and you remembered why you were supposed supposed to be here it's the glory of God it happens when he is high and lifted up and to what Jesus said Jesus said he said himself if I be lifted up I'll draw all men into me oh see the Bible said his glory filled the temple we need his glory to fill the temple I don't want to have a church where his glory just visits the temple I don't want to have a church where His glory is on this stage. I don't want to have a church where His glory is in these altars. Can I tell you something right now? If you ain't ever walked up here during worship, then I'm going to tell you, you don't even understand how much of His glory is in these altars. It don't even make sense to, to you to think that from, from, a, from a pew to four or five, 10, 15 steps, wherever you're at, to right here to this front, how different the atmosphere can change. I'm telling you, it is real. Am I right, Kelly? You know what I'm talking about. She's just like me ever since I've known her. Leaders just like her. You'll look around, you'll see leaders that they make sure they're up here. They're walking around. You know what? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be full of myself or whatever, but I can be like some pastors, sit up on some big giant golden throne up here and drink from my golden goblet with my arms crossed and watch y'all praise God. But I'm going to tell you something. I can't do it. i got to have the glory. i got to be in the glory. If I'm going to preach the gospel like I am right now, I need to worship him. i got to be in his presence. Every time I come in this place, I feel like Isaiah. Whoa, it's me, God. There's stuff you got to... I need you to touch my lips with the coal. The Bible says, watch, this is so powerful. So powerful. Are y'all enjoying this? Watch this. The Bible says that when, the, when they begin to cry one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, is the Lord of, all, of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. They were prophesying. They were speaking the will of God that his desire... Remember, he told, he told Moses on another occasion, I don't think it's in my notes, he said, surely as I live, the whole earth shall be filled with my glory. 
Are you hearing me? It, he told that to Moses. And then, and then, of course, Moses said, show me your glory. Come on, come on. Is it not awesome? I'm getting ahead of myself. This is part two. I ain't supposed to preach this today. But isn't it amazing when, when God looked at Moses and said, what do you want? Moses said, show me your glory. See, when they begin to cry to each other about the glory and the holiness of God, the Bible says the doors of the post begin to shake. Now, why is that important? Because Ezekiel also had a vision about this. It's called Ezekiel's River. You ever heard of it? Next thing you notice is this. The, if I already told you this one, the glory is produced in the temple. The glory is produced in the temple. I'm going to say it again. The glory is produced in the temple. The atmosphere of glory is produced in the temple. You say, well, I thought, I thought you just said the glory is not just supposed to be at the church. Can I tell you something? This is not the church. This is the church. This is the gathering place where we get together and worship together and are equipped for the work of the ministry. But Paul said, do you not understand that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? So the, if the glory is produced in the temple, oh, y'all didn't get me. Y'all ain't hearing me. In the New Testament, the glory is supposed to be produced inside of you. Oh, my, my father, my father. Listen here. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1 said, Then the Lord brought me back to the door of what? Say it loud, of what? Of the temple. Now watch this. And there was water flowing out from under the threshold of the temple. Towards the east. Now, I'm going to pause and just say, when you, when you factor that scripture in with what Isaiah saw, saw, then you understand what is happening in Ezekiel's river. The only way the water could get out of the temple is that first, the temple had to be filled and the doorposts had to be shaken so much so that the doors flew open and what was in the temple came out. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Flowed towards the east. From the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side of the temple. And when the man went out to the east with the line, the measuring line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. And he brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my ankles. Come on, somebody. And then he measured again of a thousand. Oh, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. And the waters came up to my knees. And he measured 1,000 again and brought me through. And the water came up to my waist. And he measured 1,000 again, and it was a river that I could not cross. For the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. Come on somebody. That is symbolic of the glory of God. Anybody got a water bottle that's got water in it? I'm going to take your water. You ain't going to be able to drink it. Throw it to me. Give it to me. Come on. Come on. You got an arm, don't you? All right, watch this. I always do this. Because I want you to understand something. I give this illustration all the time. Now, next service, maybe I'll remember to actually do what I was supposed to do. Praise God. I was going to put a little, some little color, something nasty in there. But just imagine right now that that had, it was a, sort of a tinted, uh, a, a little bit dark water. It didn't look clean to drink. This is, my, this is mine, right? This is yours. Okay, praise God. You ain't got cooties, do you? Praise God. Now watch this. 
See, when I'm drinking this water, as long as I partake of the glory, how many of those ain't nothing like a cool drink of water? But how many of those, if this was nasty water and infected water, it could make me sick? This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Here's what has to happen. You have to be complete, continue to be refilled. When, when the, when the, remember, the glory is produced in the temple, praise God. So if I get up every day and I spend time with God, if I worship Him, if I go to church, if I serve, if I serve my brothers, if I become the hands and feet of God, how many of those all of a sudden the color begins to change ever so slightly? But the more and more and more I pour into it, boom, all of a sudden now I'm full. But how many of those a lot of folks live the rest of their life just thinking, God, I just want, me to, want you to fill me up. But if you only just get full and do not go beyond the full point, the doors of the post can never shake. Come on, somebody. The doors can, the water can never get out. I don't want to have a church where people's got to come in here to get the glory. I want to have a church that when we leave the parking lot, the glory goes with us. Praise God. That, that can only happen when you continue to pour. Because all of a sudden, water comes out of the temple here just kidding how many knows hope you're anointed because i'm about to drink some of your spit praise god huh i don't care i don't care you're anointed you're anointed watch this watch this i ain't scared now watch what just happened i drank a little bit of my backwash and a little bit of hers but but here's what i'm trying to tell you is this when i drink what the lord has poured into me from the outside then all of a sudden i'm not drinking of myself anymore oh y'all ain't hearing me huh see imagine this is one big old bowl you that's a pretty big bowl ain't it if this place was flooded look how high the water would have to go you'd have to go all the way up to here then it'd have to fill the balcony but at some point would you agree that it would get so high that the doors on the sides would begin to leak. Come on, y'all hear me. Because it sloped, underneath the stage would fill up. And all of a sudden, it'd start coming out of the pores of the stage. God said, when the people remind each other of the holiness of God, like the angels. How many knows the angels desire to look on the things of men? In other words, we have an access to the glory, this blows my mind when we think about it, that the angels do not even have. Because the difference between us and the angels is that the angels can only see the glory, live in the glory, and produce the glory with their praise, but they can only do it because they're in the presence of God, where we can sing it, produce it just like the angels, but it can come on us and literally reside in us. The glory of God is on the angels, but not in the angels. Is this good preaching? See, if we're going to change the world, we talk about changing the world all the time, then we got to get back to the glory. See, when you, have, when you are a church that believes that the glory of God is in that church, then you don't, you don't come to church. You, I'm not trying to be critical here, but, but now... We, we, we've made sure that we've changed the wording of everything. We can't call anything what we used to call them because it don't make sense to this generation or it might offend this generation. Here's the thing. We used to say, let's go to church and let's, let's have church. And now we, people are so, so religious, you can't even say have church. Oh, you can't have church. You are the church. You're always rebuking you and reminding you of things about. And now, now, now and I'm, not having, I'm not saying we won't ever say this either because we call our encounter that we just had the encounter experience. 
But notice that the word is encounter experience. I'm not looking for a church that's just coming to experience something. Because that's what we've labeled our Sunday morning services now. An experience. I can go to a concert and have an experience. I want an encounter. I want to, I want to absolutely have an encounter with God. I want to see people changed. You might as well shout amen. See, why is the house the place where the glory is produced? In other, before you can understand that, and I've got to go fast, you've got to understand what the glory is. What is the glory? Well, I know that the glory is covering. I know that God is covered in his glory. But you need to understand something about the glory. Next thing on your notes, I've already told you this, but this is going to shock you. It's going to feel weird to even fill this in for you. We have a part in producing the glory of God. We have a part in producing the glory of God. Because automatically, you automatically think, well, the glory is the holiness of God. We have nothing to do with that. Watch this. When you understand what I'm about to show you over this series, you will un- your whole understanding of the magnitude and the awesomeness of, glo- of the glory of God is going to change. Watch this. Psalm 50, 23 says this. And how many knows the psalmists are songwriters and worship leaders, right? All of them. Psalm 50, 23 says, Whoever offers praise glorifies me. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. Whoever offers praise glorifies me and to him who orders his conduct the right i will show salvation of the lord so let me pause and let me just say this in other words he says when you praise him you increase the glory that is on him therefore you have a greater access to his holiness and to who he is because you have created an atmosphere on yourself by your praise that is welcoming for him to come and dwell with you it's quiet because you're taking it in watch this revelation chapter 4 verses 8 to 11 talks about heaven and it says the beast that surround the altar that surround the throne watch this give glory they give honor they give thanks to him who sits on the throne are y'all hearing me So we see that glory is something that we can give, the psalmist says. Glory is something that the angels and even the creatures in heaven that were created give to God. Just like we give him honor. Just like we give him praise. Are y'all with me? But wait, let's, let's read on in Revelation. Verse 10, chapter 4 says, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, watch what they say. This is people now, the 24 elders. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So you have the beast giving glory, honor, and praise. And then you have the 24 elders who are the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, and the 12 apostles of Jesus. They're they're the 24 elders. They fall down. These are the, the the closest human beings to the intimacy of God because right in the middle of the there's 12 on one side there's 12 on the other side the Bible describes and right in the middle of them bridging the gap of the old and the new testament is the throne of God and they how many how many knows we're all equal in the eyes of God but but we don't put ourselves on the same level as the 24 elders can I get an amen 
But even they cast their crowns before him and say, you are worthy to receive glory. It's something that we can give you. Before you automatically say, well, that just means praise. No, 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 no. I know that's what you've been conditioned to think. Glory is something beyond that. The next thing in your notes is going to tell you what the glory of God is. Come on, take notes, please. The glory of God is a tangible substance. It is a tangible substance produced when we praise God with each other. You do it by yourself, but when you praise God with each other, how many of those, the Bible says one can chase a thousand demons to fly, two can chase 10,000 demons to fly. Because why? The more you get together praising, the more you get together agreeing, the more glory that is produced. And the devil cannot live in the glory. He is in a fallen state. He used to live in the glory, but he has fell out of the glory of God. He does not have access in the glory of God. You want your house to be free of demonic oppression and possession? Fill your house full of the glory. Remember when Isaiah saw the angels, I want to remind you one more time, they cried one to another. They declared the holiness of God. The atmosphere of the temple changed. And Isaiah continued on and said, the house was filled with smoke. See, the glory of God is fire. The Bible says that at the feet of Jesus, go, go read the book of Revelation when they describe him in glorified form. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you that in this series. I'm going to show you the difference between Jesus that walked around with Mary and the disciples and then ascended to heaven to the, and to the Jesus that is sitting on the throne right now. The Jesus that is sitting on the throne right now is, is not, he doesn't look like the Jesus in our paintings. The Bible said when John saw him in, John, in Revelation chapter 1, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Come on. His hair was white like wool. And the Bible said around his feet was fire. He went on to describe a Jesus that don't look nothing like the Jesus that was here on this earth. Why? Because he is in full glorified form. Fire. When the glory fell in Acts chapter 2, how did it manifest? Fire. And on top of 120, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. When the glory of God comes, it's fire. That's why there was an altar that was before you could go into the presence of God. You had to burn your sins on the altar in fire. When you went into the, out from the outer court, there was the fire of the altar. When you went into the inner court, there was the fire of the menorah, the candles. Fire, fire. But then when you walked into the Holy of Holies, there was no fire. There was no light. It was total darkness until the blood began to be shed. The blood began to be sprinkled on the east side of the altar by the high priest. And it was at that time that the Bible tells us, and Jewish historians have recorded multiple, multiple accounts of priests retelling this, that immediately the entire inner court would be illuminated so bright with the glory of God that they had to tie a rope around his, around his foot because if his, right, his heart was not right and he had not done the rituals like he was supposed to, if he had been unclean and touched, he would have been struck dead by the glory of God and nobody would even have access to go in there because the glory is so powerful. They had to drag his body out by that rope. 
that will be so bright. Think about the brightness of the fire and the brightness of the glory of God that Moses was permitted to only see the backside of God as he passed by. He had to hide him in a rock. He said, you can't see my face, but I will let you see my backside. And he walked by him and just breezed by him. And he could just see just sort of the, the backside of God as he walked by. And it was so powerful that when he came down off the mountain, he had to put a sheet over his face because his face was shining with the glory of God that he would have killed the people. So until the glory began to settle, he had to cover his face. Smoke. Everybody say smoke. What is smoke? The next thing you notice is this. Smoke is a byproduct. Listen to this powerful definition. Smoke is a byproduct of something solid or tangible transforming into something gaseous or intangible. In other words, when you hear about a house that went up in smoke, you ever heard that? That thing just went up in smoke. They mean that a solid wood house of structure that was hard to the touch, was solid and provided, made it through storms, something happened to it, and it was transformed into smoke by way of fire. Isn't it amazing? It's really amazing when you think about it. You have... How many trees that can be, you can imagine, was used to build a, a two-story house in, a, in a, a, a two-car garage and all of this and all the, the rafters and the walls and all these, all these trees were there. And when fire hits it, you come back the next day if it's not able to be put out. You see a chimney, you see blocks, you see a, a, a pile of ash. And I've, many times my mind don't know how to comprehend that. I'm like, where did all that go? I mean, where did it go? I mean, I know it's in the atmosphere, but all the fires out in California, all the wood that's being burned, it just turns into a gas and eventually just dissipates into the atmosphere. Tangible houses are burned to the ground and you're walking down a street two or three miles away and you don't even know it, but remnants of that house is literally being breathed by you. Do, you. do you get what I'm saying? These kind of things we don't really take the time to think about. This is how my mind works. It blows my mind. Where does it all go? Shouldn't we all eventually just, just people burning in the wintertime, should we not all go outside and just have ash all over us? See, when we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God, we put ourselves on the altar and we are burned with fire. And our stuff and our flesh become smoke in the glory before God. And it's gone. See, you, see, you can come back and you can look at a house that's been burned to the ground. I've had a house fire, a major house fire in my life. I know what it feels like to have you watch your house burn. If you've ever experienced that, that is unbelievable. But you can stand there and you can look at it all day long. But if it's not there, it's not there anymore. It's burned. It's, it's gone from a, from a tangible, touchable thing that you used to could touch. Now it's disappeared into the atmosphere. But isn't it amazing that we come into service of the glory of God and we let God touch our lives and he burns stuff off of us? We get free. It's gone. And then we run straight out there and try to find it. I'm coming to a close. Exodus 29, 18 says, you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. 
It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by the fire of the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15 says, With Jesus' help, let us continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by proclaiming the glory of his name. New Living Translation. The last thing you notice is this. It is at the altar where the glory burns the sacrifice. It is at the altar where the glory burns the sacrifice. That's why we have altar time during worship. I'm not against having altar time at the end of a message. In fact, I love that. I love it. I love it when people are, are being born again and people are coming to the altar and minister. But we made a decision a while back that the most strategic time for prayer and the most strategic time for miracles in people's lives is in an atmosphere that glory is being produced. And when the glory of God is being produced in this house, it is, and I'll show you in the next few weeks, it is an invitation it is an oh, we don't even have to say the word. You don't have to sing words when you when, uh, that are on a screen. If you can just begin to praise him, no matter what you say, if your heart is to worship, it is an invitation to God. He comes. He's already here. He's everywhere. But his glory invites his presence to where we can encounter him, to where we can stand before his throne the way Isaiah stood there. Can I get an amen?